0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lutie. I'm going to start a new series here. I've been, uh, over the past couple weeks we went through a a series on prayer, and then we, we went through a series on, uh... Purity, uh, standing for purity last week. And I don't know how long this one's going to last, but it could last the rest of, uh, at least the rest of your semester, those of you that are here for a, a training. And it's going to be uh, heroic tales. I think what we're going to do is I'm going to draw out uh, certain stories in the Bible and show the revelation of Christ and the revelation of his truth in and through it. So uh, this particular one is on Nehemiah. And Uh, Nathan, if you're in the training, Nathan takes you through a message called Nine Lies. Have you guys gone through that yet? Okay, that's that's just a great one. And so I'm going to steer away from uh, what would be contained in that message, which is a truly powerful message. But I'm still going to give you some good stuff uh, here that I think would uh, be just fascinating to chew on. But uh, I call this one building the wall. And I'm not trying to make a uh, a statement about Donald Trump or anything here. It's just, uh, this, is, this is something that is very significant in the Old Testament as far as establishing a, a wall is a form of defense. And it had always historically has been around uh, major cities. They would build a wall as a, as a statement of interference and defense for the, the, the city, for the capital especially. And so we have the captivity, uh, the Babylonian captivity for 70 years and then the, there's a release uh, from captivity, and in the process, you see the Israelites once again building uh, the, the temple of, in Jerusalem, and then Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. And many of us know the story, and I'm not going to go in-depth into the story as much as just describing the significance of it. So, oh, my clicker's not on. So Nehemiah, I'm going to give him a sort of a subtitle, the man of white-knuckled faith. There is something very special about Nehemiah and his grit and determination that I think is significant for us. You know, we can have faith, but then when we're shoved, we have a tendency to let go of it way too easy. You know, if someone were to come to us and say, hey, you're going to deny Christ and deny your faith or I'm going to kill you. And we're like, well, I don't want to be killed, so oh, okay. In other words, we can't, we can't just let go of what we have. There has to be a grip. There has to be a firm resolve. And so as a result, it's significant that I'm calling him white-knuckled faith. In other words, you cannot remove it from his hand. And the white knuckles, there's various illustrations of them throughout history, but oftentimes it's when a, when a soldier is clinging to his sword and he will not let go. And literally, the, uh, the, the grip is so intense that if you look at his knuckles, they're white. And so that's the statement of, like, unyielding resolve. And that's the way Nehemiah is. This man is quite a picture uh, of a man. I, I really like this, uh, this term, and it, it's one of those things that I wish I could develop more, but uh, it's just such a statement of profound uh, significance, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, what's interesting is that it sounds like a lowly position. It's actually a very high position. But it's at the same time, it's a very significant position as far as what he is. Because, yes, he, it wasn't King Jesus that he was the king's cupbearer, but there is something significant about being the king's cupbearer. And if we were to think about being the one that has that intimate counsel with the king, and that is uh, Nehemiah. What a, an amazing man uh, he was. A real man in history, not just some mythical character, but a very real man in history. So, what I've done is I've broken up uh, the book of Nehemiah into what we'll call 14 ingredients of this man. And it's a very quick, uh, cursory overview. Uh, He finds out, and so I start out by saying a man that actually cares. How many of us, when we hear about the breakdown of our culture, about our society, or the the weakness of the church, do we actually care? It's like, oh, that's too bad. Well, Nehemiah doesn't just care, but he is moved to weeping, uh, to hear about the state of the walls of Jerusalem. So he's a man that actually cares. When I heard these words, then I sat down and wept. And that statement, just in and of itself, is a profound statement of the man, uh, a man who seeks the welfare of God's people. So he is conspiring, and I don't want to use that word in a negative way. It's a very positive way. However, he knows that there are enemies of Israel, and so he is going to creep in <laughs> to Jerusalem and with all of these resources and you know, rally the, the people of Israel to begin to rebuild the wall, but he doesn't want the enemies to know what he's doing. But of course, they find out it says, there, there was come a man to seek the welfare of Israel. In other words, there is, this is the rumor that begins to pass. There's a man. He has come to seek the welfare of Israel. In other words, that's a good thing to be known for, is that you are one who seeks the welfare of God's people. He's a man that's trained to lead. And so he literally rallies this entire nation that is returned. And he says, come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. He's a man of faith. God of heaven, he will prosper us. The odds that are stacked against them are so massive because all of the enemies, when they hear that someone is going to rebuild a wall, well, it's the last thing they want is for Jerusalem to once again gain its ancient strength. It's like you've got to be kidding. We love having Jerusalem be completely broken down. The last thing we want is for it to regain its ancient strength. Now, stop right there. You see, you think I'm talking about just a man named Nehemiah or just some people way back uh, in the olden days talking about you guys now. I want you to recognize that what is needed is the same thing in our life that was happening back then. There was an ancient strength that used to reside in the human body, and yet this human body has been broken down because of sin. And so when the devil catches wind that the God of the universe is once again moving upon the life of you, well, he's not Excited, and so there's three bad guys in this: Sandballat, Tobias, and Geshem the Arabian. Now, of course, they have all their cronies with them too, but they're distinctive characters in the story, and they then hatch plans to destroy Nehemiah's efforts. So they want to undermine Nehemiah's efforts, and that's what you're going to see when Nathan goes through his message. Nine lies. You're going to see that there were nine deliberate attacks, nine deliberate lies that were given to weaken the hands of those that were attempting to rebuild the wall. So I'm going to go to four again. He was a man of faith, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. This is a very, very important moment in your soul when you are facing that initial opposition and where the devil says it's impossible that you could possibly bear the fruit of heaven in and through your life. Well, the God of heaven, he will prosper us he will prosper me. In other words, this is how faith works. Your faith does not rest in your ability. It rests in his ability. Number five, he was a man undaunted and unshaken. Listen to Nehemiah 4, 1 and 6. Sanballat was wroth, so we built the wall. Now I'm skipping quite a few, four four little verses in there, but it's going to go through. Sanballat is very angry, so he's sort of the leader of the bad guys. And he's so upset that Nehemiah has the gall to come in and rebuild the ancient walls of Jerusalem. It's like, no way. So he's, uh, and so the, the next four verses go through and talk about all that Sanballat is desiring to do to stop him. And, you know, he's just so upset. And then Nehemiah's conclusion. So we built the wall. It's just He's totally nonplussed by the fact that there's an enemy out there. We oftentimes have a tendency to focus on the enemy and all the noise that Sandballad is making instead of the fact that God's gonna prosper us. Let's just keep our job. Let's stay focused here. We've got a job to do. We're, we're trying to build a wall right now. But what about Sandballad, Tobias, and Geshem the Arabian? Yeah, you know what? That, that's a whole different issue. God's the one that's working uh, you know, for us, with us. He'll deal with them. Number six, a man watchful and vigilant, set a watch against them day and night. So he recognized that there's an enemy, and he set a watch. In our souls, we set like a sentry, where we're very watchful over our souls. We're not passive. We are very actively engaged in in watching over uh, what's taking place in our soul. He's a man with drawn sword. Everyone had his sword girded by his side. And so he trained his people that even though they have an enemy, They have work work to do. So don't just focus on the enemy. However, you do tend to the enemy. And so they had a sword in one hand and they had a trowel in the other. And so they were constantly building the wall, yet they had their swords girded to their side. Number eight, he was a man loyal to the spirit, not a debtor to the flesh. So at this juncture, you see it's Nehemiah 6.3. At this juncture, they're trying about everything. They're throwing the kitchen sink at Nehemiah to try and stop him. They've tried every threat imaginable, and it's just, it's actually hilarious if you could look at it through the lens of, you know Nehemiah is going to get it done, just look at all that the enemy tries to do to stop him. It's, it's actually extremely fascinating. And so, in this situation, they are trying to get him away from this work. It's like, come, visit us over here, try this, do this, and his simple statement, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. No, I cannot come to you. No, I cannot visit you. No, we cannot talk. I'm doing something very, very important here. See, they know he's doing something very, very important, and they want to get him distracted from it. The enemy wants to get you off your game, too. You're doing something very significant right now. Even this, for those of you that are here for a semester, you're doing something very important. Yet The devil wants to distract you with all sorts of little nonsensical things along the way. He's a man, number nine. He's a man after his king's glory. There are no such things done as you say. So the, the great accusation against Nehemiah is that he is building this wall so that he can be a king over the people. And I mean they, they they're just trying Sandballot sends an open letter to everyone. It's like, hey, everyone read this. Uh, you don't you do know why Nehemiah is doing this, don't you? He's doing it for his own glory. And Nehemiah's classic response there are no such things done as you say. In other words, I'm not doing it for that reason, and everyone knows it. And so the devil is gonna come in and contort, he's going to accuse, he's going to do all sorts of nonsense to get you to lay down your sword and your trowel. Number 10, a man determined. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. I tell you what, so much opposition. And so many times, Nehemiah had to be strengthened for the task. Number 11, a man who knows his position. He was told that uh, the great army was coming against Jerusalem and that he he needed to flee into the temple and hide. And his statement, should such a man as I flee, I will not go in. This is quite the guy, the white-knuckled faith. I mean, everything is being thrown at him, and he just will not budge. Number 12, a man who wins his battles. I love this as a statement. So the wall was finished. 52 days. It's one of the most extraordinary, probably architectural feats in all of uh, the world history to build the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days with enemy attack coming against them nonstop. And yet, look at that. So the wall was finished. A man sealed in covenant. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant. If you were to look through this list of 14 things, each one of them represents the very things that God wants to do in us. And so what we see in this flow of the book of Nehemiah is a pattern for how faith is established, that a wall is built in our life. Did you know that you are not supposed to be exposed to whatever the devil wants to do in your life, but that you're supposed to be walled in? Yet many of us, see, the first thing that takes place is Ezra. In the book of Ezra, we see the rebuilding of the temple of God. And then we see the wall built around it. The same thing is happening in you. You become the temple of God first. You yield to Jesus Christ You are found in Christ. You are brought into the Holy of Holies in the heavenly realms. You ask for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally moves inside of your body. You become the temple of the living God. Now what? Let's build a wall. There needs to be a wall around this city, around this Jerusalem. You know that Jerusalem is even the name of the bride of Christ. And so there's supposed to be a wall around this city. And we enter into that clear covenant in his blood. A man, of, a man zealous for the house of God. Why is the house of God forsaken? So in Ephesians 6.11, you're going to see this concept in the New Testament. Okay? When we hear about putting on the full armor of God, we don't oftentimes think Nehemiah. Because we're thinking, well, a man dressed in armor is different than a city dressed in a wall. And yet it's the same concept. It's the protection of God's people. And so God has given us a protection. It's different than a stone upon stone wall. It's actually a spiritual barrier. And God desires us to be clothed in it. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And there's no greater enunciation of what is taking place in the book of Nehemiah than the wiles of the devil. Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem the Arabian, they have the wiles of the devil. And it's interesting, because the very things that they did to try and stop Nehemiah are the very same things that the, that the devil does to try and stop you. They're, a, they're an exact replica of it, which is amazing because you see in the book of Nehemiah the entire battle plan of the enemy exposed. I really like this word, panoplia. It's really interesting. You know how I've said that I like words, and there's words that I don't like uh, in the Hebrew and Greek? And the, but this one, panoplia, which is where we get the word panoply, and uh, it means pas is entire, all, whole, or complete, and then hoplon is armor. So this word means the complete armor. So it's a, it's a word that was described for battle that, you know, it's not just a piece of armor where you have like a belt or you have a shield, or you have a breastplate, you have the whole thing. And so what is being commanded by Paul is to put on the panoplia, put on the whole thing. Don't put on just pieces of it, put on the whole thing, because if you just built part of a wall, how good is that going to be, and how effective is that going to be for defending a city? A part of a wall. That doesn't make any sense, you have to have the complete wall. You need the panoplia actually to be in place for the protection. And so that's actually the word that is used in the Greek is the complete or the whole armor. I don't know if, if any of you have ever read William Grenal's The Christian in Complete Armor. Highly recommended, Very good book. Uh, but that's the concept. The Christian in the panoplia. The heavenly entrustment. So if you were to look at it this way, you have been given all the armor. We know that. Okay, that's what it says in Ephesians 6. So we're supposed to put it on. Now that armor... Is Christ it's not just an armor you know we, when we were growing up in Sunday school we get these plastic things we you know clothe ourselves in armor and and we feel all good about it however we oftentimes miss the fact that this is a spiritual armor this is a spiritual barrier that is being built in our life and that we need to wear it and so that's exactly what we do when I when I ask you your position you say I'm in Christ That's the same concept. That's why we put on Christ daily in that sense. We are truly in the depths of our soul recognizing by faith the fact that we have everything that we need. We have the entire panoplia to defend against the enemy. And so we've been given precisely what we need. I'm calling that the heavenly entrustment. Nehemiah was supplied with everything needed to build that wall, which is an extraordinary statement. Yes, he had an enemy. Yes, there were wiles of the evil one coming against him, but he finished the work. The Lord prospered him in his way. So we have a pattern given to us in the Old Testament so that we can recognize how we live in the New Testament. And so we are given everything we need. If we were building a wall, we would be giving all the stones, we would be given all the stones for the entire wall so that it could be sound with no gaps and wholly fortified. It's like They're all there. All the stones are there. All the the masonry equipment is there. Everything that is needed, we need to apply ourselves then. There is an actual doing in the human soul to agree to put on or to build. Like, okay, take this stone, slather some mortar there and go and stick it on top. Okay? That's what we need to do. And so in our soul, it's the same thing. You have a truth. What are you doing with it? Stick it in place. All right, next truth. All right? You have it. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to activate it. I'm not just going to stare at the truths. I'm not just going to nod at them and say amen to them. I'm going to do them. I'm going to activate this dimension of my life. 2 Peter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now I know we've reference the scripture actually quite a few times since the semester started, but I want in light of this to recognize that you have a rather large task in front of you. You need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And everyone knew back in those days, well, that's impossible. You can't just stroll back in from being captives. And there is no nation around you that's going to allow you to get that done. That would be the common line of the day. It's like, that's not going to get done. So Nehemiah is moved. He is grieved over the fact that it's missing a wall. And so with the favor of the king, he literally comes back and has supplied everything that he needs to get her done. And so the same is true for us. Our job description, according to the natural realm, is impossible. But by faith, we will see this wall finished. It's a fact. It will get done. And what does uh, 2 Peter tell us but as his divine power has given to us all things, all the building equipment, all the armor, all the mortar, everything that is required that pertains to life and godliness. So everything you're going to need to live this life and everything you're going to need to reveal God in and through your life. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Everything needed is supplied. The divine panoply, the heavenly armor, or what I often oftentimes refer to it, to as a supersuit, because that's that's what it is. I mean, when we don't oftentimes think of armor. But we do. We could think of like one of those uh, cool uh, superhero outfits, and when you get into it, like The Incredibles is probably the best way of, of thinking about it, where it's like bullets could be shot at you and doo they just bounce right off. It's like that. Is, what do? You, Would you make that of? Who's that? That little uh, short lady. What's her name? Edna Mode. That one. Yeah, yeah. She can make these things, right? God has designed for us a supersuit. His name is Jesus. And when we climb into Jesus and wear, in faith, this suit, it literally repels every fiery dart of the evil one. Okay, so it's hard for us because we're taking old-fashioned illustrations and trying to bring them into our modern world. So when you talk about battle, when you talk about swords and shields, it doesn't translate as easily to our modern day but what we are doing is we're wearing something that is impenetrable. We are walking into a strong tower that is made of diamond and nothing can break, it, break through it and enter into it. So it's the divine panoply. I really like that word. Don't you guys like the word panoply? It's just interesting to my mind. And you know, I, if you ask me if I like the word monopoly, no, not as much as panoply. I, I really like the word panoply. It's just you wanna say it, don't you? There's a few of you out there go, I think I'm gonna whisper it to myself, panoply. Uh, <laughs> For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Interesting combination of things. He's a sun and a shield. So he's everything you need for defense and light, right? But the interesting statement is, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So everything that you need, every good thing, or you could say every God thing that is required, You're going to have it. He is not going to withhold it from you when you walk uprightly. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So everything you're going to need, guys, over and over and over again throughout Scripture is that it's supplied. The divine panoply, the whole armor, not just a few pieces of it, but the whole thing, Has been supplied. Everything that you will require to get this job done has been given to you. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apostle Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. What a statement. So the Ludi Living Room has been an illustration that I've used for. Quite a few years now, because there was one time I, I was sitting in the uh, the living room. Well, I wasn't sitting; the kids were sitting. I have a certain routine that we have. They all sit, and then I pace around the outside. I'm a pacer, uh, so so we were talking about the issue of little sins and how little sins are like the Luty House. Okay, so I, I said, imagine that this is you, and you, this this house is you guys, and so if it's negative 10 degrees out there and I open up this sliding glass door, what's gonna happen inside this, the looty house? Well, that negative 10, which is outside, is going to get inside here. And if we leave it open all night, it's gonna be very, very cold in the looty house, and there's gonna be a snow drift in here. Okay, so how did that snow drift get inside the looty house? Because we didn't want the snow drift in this looty house. It's because of a little sin that was left undone and left unrepaired. In other words, when the Holy Spirit convicts you and you feel the chill, it's like, whoa, whoa, what's that? Uh, door is open or window is cracked, okay? I'm like a detector. When it's during the winter, I walk out, and it's like, whoa, 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 we got a draft. We got a draft. And I can literally go right up to that draft and figure out where it's from. Well, that's how the human soul works. You got a draft. Hey, what's going on here? The more sensitive you are, the more you get familiar with 70 degrees all the time, the more you begin to sense, whoa, 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 it's getting cold in here. What's going on? And so what do you do? If if you were a wise housekeeper and you saw that you had a window cracked and it was negative 10 degrees outside, what would you do? Slam it shut. Lock it. Okay, and then you could even tell your kids, guys, we are not opening up windows during the winter. Okay, that could be an an additional bonus feature to your uh, your actions. However, if this is your own human soul, you don't have any kids to yell at. All right, it's just you. And you would close it because if you don't, outside influence is coming in. This is how the devil works. So we need to recognize that though we have been given a house, we are the house of God, we are the temple of God, that we have the propensity to agree with the devil. We still have the propensity to compromise. And when we do, it's like opening windows or doors. And when we do, outside temperatures get inside. Outside influences, like say it's smoky. Well, it's not smoky in the house, but it's smoky out there and it comes in through the window. And then, oh great, now it's smoky in here. In other words, outside elements that have no business being in your soul creep in. So what do you do? Close them. And so this is the concept of a wall, a panoply. You have been given everything you need, but you also need to walk in agreement. If, if Nehemiah starts kowtowing to what Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem, of the Arabian are doing, he has an unfinished wall. So the sliding door and the bowl of peanuts. It's, the bowl of peanuts is a, uh, I, we had a... We have a coffee table in the middle, and so I, I said, guys, imagine that uh, you're so hungry and... I, I've daddy supplied this this bowl of peanuts in the middle, and it's full of protein-packed peanuts, and they're yours. And I, I even tell you that it wouldn't make any sense for you to not eat them. If I said no, they're yours, unlimited amounts. They're, they're healthy for you because they they need protein, right, to build strong muscles. And of course, none of my kids have protein allergy, or I'm sorry, peanut allergies. That would be terrible uh, if they did, but uh, they don't. And so they, they can have unlimited amounts and they can take as much as they want. It's like a bottomless bowl. It's sort of like Mary Poppins, uh, what was that, carpet bag where she can reach in and just grab And that's the way this bowl is. It's unlimited. And this is the way God's grace is for us. Everything that we need is, has been given to us and he's given us doors and windows in this life and their choices. The enemy's going to come and knock. He's gonna try and get us to compromise. But as we agree with God, we have everything we need for this life. As we walk uprightly, he supplies us everything we need. That bowl of peanuts in the middle, I mean, this is incredible. Everything you need, that's grace right there. And if you desire it, you have it. Many of us know that there's peanuts there and we starve. We're like so close. We're like, Don't you have a bowl of peanuts in front of you? Yes, it's true, I do. Well, then why don't you eat it? In other words, to engage in the life of God, the grace of God, is very, very important. And there's a process. If you want to eat a peanut, you have to you know, break it open and get those little gems out and then throw them in your mouth. And I know, it's hard, but you have to chew them. And then you have to swallow them. Then you have to agree with them. And if you do, that peanut protein power is going to disseminate through your body and build strong muscles, right? And so, it's, it, yes, it is, there is work involved there, but it's the work of faith, not the work of of flesh. So in my life, we went through a, uh, a definite unique stretch where God was teaching us how to be fortified. And Nehemiah, the story was very significant. Leslie was studying it at the time. She was listening to it every day. And I remember her just saying, I think we need to read this book together, Eric, right now, because I, I think the enemy is getting away with a whole bunch of nonsense." And I don't know if any of you have ever gone through a season like that of just heightened nonsense where it's just like the devil seems to be just going berserk and you feel helpless. That's sort of the way we felt. Like we had a miscarriage in this time. We had all sorts of financial trials. I mean, just there were loads of things happening. And so we actually sort of rose up and said, okay, let's do what, God's obviously given us everything we need. So let's start exercising what we know to do. And we laid ourselves before God in his holy spirit and just said God show us are there any breaches in our life? A breach is like a hole in the wall. Are there any breaches? And so that we created what we called the sacred list, which were the different things that we felt the spirit of God was showing us in our life that needed to be tended to, that needed to be addressed. So it's like a broken down area of wall where the devil is actually coming in or for our other discussion it's like an open window. It's like okay, let's go close that window. And over that next stretch of time, I tell you what, some of the most profound and powerful things begin to take place, but not without enemy interference. I have, the next uh, months were some of the most intense months of my life, but it was sort of like uh, Nehemiah, where he's like, the Lord will prosper us. Yeah, let's, let's build the wall, guys. Just, I just started ignoring what the devil was doing. He makes a lot of noise, guys, but he's a loud mouth without any power. He's like a toothless lion. He can roar a loud roar, but he's detoothed. He's defanged. He's, he doesn't have the power that, you, that he tries to boast that he has. And I saw such massive breakthroughs in our life at that time. So here's the simple principle of it the sword and the trowel. You have a sword for the enemy, and you have a trowel for your God. Okay, in other words, God wants to. Increase and continue a work of grace in your life. He wants to rebuild a wall, so you have a trowel which is going to take, slather some mortar on it, and slather that mortar. Take a, the next stone and stick it on top of that, and it makes that squishing sound. Okay, that that's the sound of you know stone on mortar, and that's what it's. Have you ever had it where you're like digging around in some of that? Uh, what's it called? Drywall paste or is like. That's, I think that's the actual uh, sound it makes. I know some of you, you don't, don't you think, Ben, you don't think it makes that sound? Do you want, me to, do you want to give the sound, or do you're do you, you not satisfied with my sound? <sniffs> Isn't that what it's like? Okay, so the sword and the trowel, the no and the yes. So we need to have a no, and we need to have a yes simultaneously in our life. So when it comes to the devil, you need to be ready with a No. When he tries to move against your life, you say, no. And that's how you use your sword. And you need to be aggressive with your no and not passive. Like, no, I don't think you should be doing that, devil. No. And you need to know the authority with which you speak your no. In the name of Jesus, no. So I began to develop, and I think I told you guys this, I don't know, somewhere in the last couple weeks, but I developed a sort of, it looked like a tick, I think, from the outside. I'd be like, no, no, no. And it was like a, a baseball player hitting a, hitting a ball. It was like, no, no. And I'd like swing my no and just knock that ball out of the park. No, you are not doing that anymore. No. And it was an extraordinary breakthrough in my life. And I remember Leslie saying, what are you doing? How is it working? I'm like, I'm just saying no. And it, that, that principle of no became so critical for me because it's a no to the devil, not a no to God. That's where we have the trowel. So we need to learn with the other side is when God says to do something, we say yes. Just as aggressively as we're saying no, we're saying an aggressive yes. So when he asks, we don't delay, we say yes. And when you get that no and that yes balance, you get the sword and the trowel balanced together, you got something pretty amazing going on. So every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. Sword, trowel. Learning the no, resisting the devil, learning the yes, turning the gate valve of grace. So when you say yes to God, what you're actually doing is, I don't know if I've talked with you guys yet about uh, the pipeline uh, to the heavenlies. It's, it's a real pipeline, it connects. Once you uh, are in Christ, then this pipeline connects. And it's, uh, it's a real pipeline, except for it's, you can't see it, right? So it's more Bluetooth type of pipeline. And it's, it's pressurized with grace. Everything that you need for life and godliness is like inside of us. I mean, massive pressure. I mean, it's just all of the heavenly fountain that is just like packed away inside of that and you have personal access to it. But there's a gate valve on it, okay? It's like one of those big steering wheel types of uh, valve. uh, And so every time you obey and every time you say yes, it's like opening the gate valve. You get grace. You get life inside of you. And so as a result, when you resist the devil and you say yes to God, you are functioning in grace. You are functioning in the way that God intended you to function. And God is building that panoplia around you. He is beginning to wall you in. Because it's very likely this morning that there are still gaps in our lives. There's different things that the Holy Spirit is like, could we address that? And here's what I want you to say. Yes, yes. <laughs> Is the right answer to that. And when the devil tries to creep through that, you learn to say, No. No. You know that you have an intercessor. You know what an intercessor even is? An intercessor is a gap filler. Which means when he sees a weakness in your life and he sees a vulnerability to the enemy, and the enemy's kind of come in like a flood, your intercessor goes, stands his two feet there and says, Back off. So you have weaknesses and you have an enemy. And he's going to try and come in through your weaknesses. So who do you call on? Your intercessor. The way that you do that is by putting on your supersuit. by putting on Jesus. By, that's a wall around you. So though you are in disrepair, though you are weak and your personal wall is vulnerable, his isn't. And so when you clothe yourself in him, by faith it's holding up a shield and pushing back an enemy and it repels all the fiery darts of the evil one. So this is the pattern. As seen in and through the life of Nehemiah, as revealed in and through the writings of Paul, as seen throughout Christian history, we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. Our job is to believe, is to clothe ourselves in it, is to do the work of faith to see that panoplia exercised and put into place. All right? Father, Father, I ask that you would exercise us today, that you would show us by your Holy Spirit if there's any vulnerability or weak, vulnerability points or weak points in us that need to be shored up by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would, once again, prove to be our intercessor as you have throughout our life. Lord, that you would save us to the uttermost. Lord, we need a Savior. We need that clothing. There is no point along this journey when we can do this alone, without you. And so, Lord, we submit to you with expectation. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8:15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7:15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.